It's Fangraphs Audio. I'm Carson Sestouli. On Tuesday of this week, David Lorla, the curator of our excellent Q&A series, published an interview with Minnesota Twins left-handed reliever Glenn Perkins. Perkins, besides being a pretty great late-inning reliever, is also a devotee of sabermetrics and a reader of Fangraphs, in fact. And it was at the end of that published interview that Lorla invited readers, Fangraphs readers, to submit questions for Glenn Perkins. What follows is a phone conversation between Lorla and Perkins himself, in which the former asks those same reader questions of the latter. This is David Lorla with Minnesota Twins left-handed reliever Glenn Perkins on this edition of Fangraphs Audio. Welcome to another In the Clubhouse episode of Fangraphs Audio. I am David Lorla, and to start a quick uh, Quick detail, I'm not actually in a clubhouse today. I'm in my living room talking to Glenn Perkins on the telephone. And, Glenn, I am guessing that you are in the beautiful state of Minnesota. I am. I, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's been a good week on the Oscar break here, obviously. So uh nice couple of days off and, uh, yep, enjoying the weather and, and uh, get ready to get back out tomorrow, I guess. I was in your beautiful state recently, and when I was there, we did sit together in a clubhouse, and we did a print interview, which I'm sure a lot of the readers have seen by now. And to follow that up, I gave people an opportunity to ask questions for you for this podcast, and let's jump right into a few of them, the first being of which whether any of your teammates are into sabermetrics and whether you speak to anybody on that subject. Yeah, you know what? Um, actually, not a whole lot of guys. I think some guys are open. I know Scott Diamondbacker is next to mine, so I talk to him a lot. I feel like I more talk to Adam. Um, but uh, really, the only other guy is Scott Baker, and he's not around a whole lot with the Tommy John. So uh, he was a guy that that was into it and kind of understood it, and and you know could could talk with me a little bit. But uh, you know, there's not a whole lot of guys that are into it, and uh, you know, I mean, that's uh, you know, I think players are. Even a little more old school, maybe than front offices, where they they want a good batting average, they want a low ERA, things like that, which is all good. But you know, I think that there's a better process of a, a way of getting there than uh, just hoping that you go out there and, and, and put up a spoiled inning. Um, you know, but I have talked a little bit with some of our guys in the front office. We kind of have a sabermetric guy now, and, and I see him walking through the clubhouse and talk to him a little bit, and then and then there's one other guy that kind of helps out. And uh, we had some good conversations. Uh, but uh, just not as much with the players, I think, as, as, as I would hope. That said, how common is, is it for pitchers to look at, at data and how exactly what does the ball club provide to you guys? Um, you know what? They, we, uh, they, they provide us with batting average, with like a, like a chart that shows their batting average in each count. And, uh, you know, I, I think that, that obviously there's some value in that. I don't, I, I think that, that, I, my my suggestion would have been to do, uh, you know, I'm more about the the process and the results. So like you know, like a, like a Chris Fielder, what does he hit? Fastballs, line drives, fly balls, ground balls, sliders. You know, the the doing it breaking it up with with pitches by uh, process, not not by you know this guy hits you know a thousand on cutter and you know he's two for two. I, I want to know if if a guy's hitting ground balls or if a guy's hitting fly balls or a guy's hitting line drives, what pitches they see the best and what pitches they don't see well. Um, you know, but we get, we get that stuff. So you do get a little bit of an idea. And then, and then the, the main thing we do is just is, is the hot and cold zones where, you know, obviously it's, it's, 
the lefty versus the lefty, they're not going to see the breaking ball down the way well, and they're not going to see the fastball up well, and, and, and things like that, where I think, uh, you know, it, it, those things are helpful, but, uh, you know, probably there, there's some ways I think that, that we could improve that, and I know that they're working on that. One of our readers suggested that maybe you, you look at swinging strike percentages as well as data to help you in your, your pitch selection. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, you know, I, I actually, I, I don't look at, uh, other guys swinging strike percentages. I've actually never even, even seen that. I guess I don't really go to hit or finger pages if it's on there, but, um, you know, I, uh, I, I typically have a plan of attack against hitters. And, and don't really stray from that. I mean, I, I, I like to make a guy adjust to me before I adjust to him. And uh, if, if I can continue to get a guy out, if I get bad swings on flyers and dirt, I'm going to keep throwing them. If I get a guy chasing fastballs up, I'm going to keep throwing them. Um, you know, and, and it's not so much, you know, what hitters do against other guys. It's, it's what they've done against me. I've got a lot of experience against a lot of guys in the American League. And, and I think that's, for me, the most important thing. Uh but, you know, as far as, as Phoenix strikes and that, I think that it's, it's, it's a pretty standard, uh, for a lot of guys where righties don't like downer and fighters and lefties and, and fastballs up and in and stuff that I do well. I think that, that, uh, is, is led to some of my successes that is the things that I can execute are things that, that guys typically struggle with. And I think it's pretty safe for me to say that you don't really need to look at, at your own pitch, your swinging strike numbers. You probably know what guys swing it and miss at on you. Yeah, you know, and I have an idea of, you know, what, what certain guys do and, and certain guys will chase and certain guys you have to mix it up. And so, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, uh, like I said, though, I, I do go, you know, on the internet after games and, and look at locations just to make sure that, that they're as good as I thought they were during the game or as good as I thought they were or as bad as I thought they were. You know, if, if a guy hits a home run, if I hang a pitcher, I think, man, that was a good pitch. How did that guy hit that? You can go back and look at a location and, get a lot better idea, you know, on the internet than you can on video. But, uh, you know, I, I do. I have a plan against guys, and, and I execute my plan. And if a guy makes an adjustment, then I'm going to have to make an adjustment back to him. But, but you know, he's got to adjust to me first. Once again, I'm talking to Glenn Perkins. Glenn, it was suggested uh, that I ask about whether you have a catcher preference. And the interesting part of the question itself uh, involves sequencing location framing whether those things really differ very much from catcher to catcher you know i think that stuff is, is a little more private with a starter uh where you're throwing 100 110 120 pitches i think if i go in there and i'm throwing 12 to 15 to 20 pitches um you know i'm calling my game i'm, I'm gonna call my own pitches and, and i'm gonna shake to throw what i want to throw regardless of what a scouting report says regardless of what you know I, I, I go off, you know, what I see from a hitter, what I've seen in the past, uh, what I think they're trying to do in a situation, all those things factor into what I throw. And, you know, if, if a guy, if I can typically jam a guy, but I, you know, there's a guy in the first and I feel like he's going to want to pull it through the hole, uh, I'm going to throw, I'm going to throw everything away. I'm going to throw fastballs away. I'm going to throw sliders away. I'm probably not going to throw any two seamers into that guy and let him hit it through the hole. Uh, so those things, you know, I, I don't have a preference on a catcher. I think all three catches we have with Butera and Maurer and, and Dolan, do a good job, uh, and, and it's such a small sample size day to day that that it doesn't really matter. I don't think any one guy gives an advantage over the other guy. They may as a starter. I know that that there was an article on Fangraphs this winter about catchers framing pitchers, and, and Mauer was one of the better ones. Um, you know, and I think he is over the long haul, over 120 pitches or over 30 starts. But the appearances I make, it just it just it doesn't add up to enough. I think to give it that that definite you know answer. 
You mentioned throwing 12 to 15 pitches. You're a reliever now. You're a happy reliever, which was pretty clear with our, our print interview. Why are most starters averse to the idea of becoming a reliever when potentially they could be far more successful working out of the pen? Yeah, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I mean, there was, a, there was a point in 2010 when I was struggling as a starter in AAA, and I can remember calling my agent and said, I just wish they'd make me a reliever. I can go up there and throw one inning, no problem. And it was it was the bulk that that I, that I had trouble with, and you know I think that's why in 2010 I came back up in September and had a pretty decent year or a decent month, and then in last year it took off. I, I I you know embraced the role, and you know I don't know. I feel like you can be just as much of a guy if it's if it's an eagle thing, and guys want to be starters and you want to be that guy, you can still be that guy in the bullpen. You can still be a guy that comes in and the adrenaline rush you get out of the bullpen is is, is nothing like you know. It, 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 it's, it's so much better than what you get as a starter. And, and coming in in games, late in games, loud music, the fans are into it, all that stuff is, is so much better than the first inning of a day game against the Royals. You know, it's, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I would encourage any struggling starter, if, if they have arm strength, to, to try going to the bullpen because, you know, you're going to get a boost in velocity, usually your stuff gets better. And, and you, you can, you can help the team, you know, in a, in a big way down there. Closers, of course, come into the game in the ninth inning in today's game. A lot of adrenaline, a lot of loud music that you mentioned. Should your best relievers be used in high leverage situations regardless of the inning? Yeah, I mean, you know, for me that, that, that does make sense. I think that's that's logical. But at the same time, it's, it's tough. I guess unless you have a, a linear waste craft in your dugout, you're not really going to be able to see when. You know, I think you can get a feel of when to use a guy, but. Um, you know, I, yeah, you know, I, I think that it, you see that a lot where, where a team has, has a, you know, a really good reliever or their best reliever and, and, and there's a situation where the game is really in, on, on the line and, and they don't use that guy and that guy might end up not even pitching. And, uh, you know, yeah, it, it, you know, if, if I was running a team, if I was a man, I would do that. I just know that there's a lot more to it than, than being able to do that. I think there's something to be said for guys having roles and being familiar with roles and knowing when that phone rings that you're going to get in there knowing when to prepare uh it, you know it, it'd be tough to prepare to pitch in the seventh and and then all of a sudden pitch in the ninth or be prepared to pitch in the ninth and pitch in the seventh I, you know but i think it's you know players and, and us who's grown accustomed to a certain way and um you know i think probably 30 40 years ago they would have said man it'd be really tough to sit there all game and then just pitch the ninth inning you know so i think players can adapt and there's probably a little better way to do it, but you know it, it does seem to work down the hole for for the, the way it, the way it, it is now. It seems to it seems to, to work all right, but um, you know I, I'd definitely be open to it. Yeah. Are there guys with really really nasty stuff who just simply don't have what it takes to pitch the ninth inning in a closing situation? You know, I, the, the little experience I've had pitching in the ninth inning doesn't hasn't really changed for me. I, I think I was able to take the mentality of pitching the eighth inning and knowing that the game was on the line there uh, into the ninth inning and, and not really thinking anything differently. Um, you know, I know that, yeah, some guys maybe maybe don't have the mental fortitude or the, the strength to to be able to to handle it, you know, and, and know the situation, I guess. But I personally haven't had that, that, that trouble. I guess I, uh, I keep a pretty simple mind in, in baseball and life and all that. that it's things, situations like that, it doesn't really... It doesn't really bother me, and and so I think that that 
some guys, yeah, I guess they probably can. And, and you've seen guys go out there in those situations. And, you know, a guy that maybe has three walks in 30 innings, and all of a sudden he goes out there and he walks three guys in one inning, and you think, okay, he's, uh, you know, maybe you're overthinking a little bit. You have a strikeout rate that would translate very well to the ninth inning. One of the readers asked about Rick Anderson and about how he likes to pitch to contact and whether or not you ever talk to Rick about strikeouts. You know, I think that, that I don't know if it's the pitch to contact thing as much as he wants guys to throw strikes. He doesn't want guys to walk guys. You know, I think he, their belief with this pitch to contact theory maybe is, is that Less walks are better than more walks and more strikeouts. So if you strike out less, but you walk less, you know I think they don't want the walks on base. And, and guys are going to give up hits. Guys are going to get hits. And if you can give up those hits and, and not have walks on base, you're going to be better off. And you know I I've told him before that that when I go out there, ideally I'd strike every guy out because then nothing else can happen. Uh, our catcher catches it. He might have to block one and throw it first base, but that's about it. And. uh you know, he's never said, man, you know, you really should try to, to get out of here with less pitches so you can pitch tomorrow. I think I know at times when I when I try to be efficient and I don't try to strike guys out if I'm getting work in or something, but typically I go out there and try to strike them out, and I think that they prefer that. I think they would rather just see that as well, and and they they get comfort in, in knowing that a guy's going to go out there. And he said it to me before, you know, I, I don't worry when you get a guy down to hurt the second one out because I know he's going to get two guys out, and, and it's not going to need to go ball, and you're not going to. You know, you're not going to need some barefoot with the infield man. He said, you can go out there and you have the ability to strike guys out. And, you know, I think they like that. I think it gives them comfort in, in, the, in the dugout. Once again, I'm talking with Glenn Perkins. A few more questions, Glenn. One of the readers was interested in whether you knew that your path was as a pitcher rather than a position player. <laughs> I found that out, I think, in about ninth grade when I wasn't hitting anymore. Uh, we had a DH. For, we had two pitchers on our high school team, and, and we had a DH, and neither the pitcher hit. I think at that point I knew that I wasn't going to be a, a, a position player. So hitting is as hard as it looks. It's harder. <laughs> the last time I hit, I mean, I've hit against Supan, Jeff Supan, I hit against Maddox, and I hit against Adam Wainwright. And it, it gives you a lot of confidence as a pitcher to, to go out there because you see how stinking hard it is to hit, and you think... Now, you know, I can get away with a, a, a mistake every once in a while because it's still hard to hit. And, I, I mean, I I don't know. I, the first guy I saw was Jeff Zupan. He was going like 87, 88 maybe, and it looked like 110. And it looked like it was about six inches off the ground, and there was tights. And, I mean, there was just no way I was I was, I was was doing anything uh, in the box against a major league hitter. But, uh, yeah, hitting is every bit as hard as, as, as people think it is, if not harder. Tangentially related to confidence is superstition. Do you have any of your own, and have you encountered any uh, especially interesting ones in baseball? You know, I superstition thing. I uh, I guess I don't think that there's superstition. You know, I, I I do things like I put my right sock on first and my right shoe and my right foot through my pant like that. I, I don't know. I feel like that's more. Uh, a, a, I don't know, maybe it is a superstition, I don't know. And I, I drink a Red Bull in the top of the sixth inning and then stretch and throw in the seventh inning with the outfielder. But, you know, as far as, as throwing the field and eating the same thing, or if I have a good game, I eat the same thing the next day. I don't do anything like that. But, uh, you know, that stuff that, that Morno is probably the most superstitious guy. I know he's, he's on a, he's on a diet and, and a, a gluten free and all that. And it was one day that his food didn't show up to the field. And he ate a piece of pizza before the game, and he hit a home run. And we were all joking that you're going to eat pizza every day now. And, and, and you know, in years past, he would have. 
he, he would eat the exact same thing, but, you know, he doesn't now. But, you know, I, I, I don't have any. And, and, you know, there's some guys, you know, Morno is probably the most superstitious guy. Jimmy Carroll uh, has a thing for gnomes, well, or not having gnomes. He got, I guess he got a gnome a couple of years ago and got hurt and got another one and the team was doing bad. And I had actually brought a gnome into the bubble this year and it lasted like 10 seconds. It was a joke to him. It lasted like 10 seconds before he... Uh, it was in a trash can or in the, in the trash compactor at the field. So um, that's just a couple things. But you know what? I, uh, I've heard a lot worse on other teams. I know that. I think we're pretty good over here. With White Sox and Tigers fans possibly listening to this podcast, Jamie may need to look out for uh, mail deliveries in the clubhouse in the near future. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 He's, uh, he's very averse to notes. Uh What about entrance music? Is that important to you? You know, uh, I actually have a song right now. Uh, it's by Rocket Club. It's it's called North Country. Um, it's it's a song just about Minnesota and, and the summer in Minnesota. Um, you know, I do like it. I like you know uh, having something that you feel like yours is yours when you go out there and, and they play a song and um, it kind of gets you going, gets you pumped up in that. And uh, you know, I am looking for a new one, so maybe that's the next thing we can do is get some reader suggestions for some songs, but. Uh, Oh you know, yeah, it's, it's a cool thing. I think that's, that's unique to the sport. And, uh, you know, every guy when they go up to bat, when guys when they go out to start the game, when they come in from the bullpen, I think it's neat. It's, uh, something that, that everyone, everyone likes and gets involved with. The, uh, one of the readers, um, asked, uh, if the Twins front office is actually as clueless and, and stuck in the Stone Age as some people believe. And if you choose to answer that question a certain way, another question was, if baseball doesn't work out, what do you see yourself doing? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think, I think our guys, they are getting better. And I know that they hired, uh, they moved a guy into Sabermetrics full-time uh, last, late last year. Um, you know, and I think he he had been dabbling in for a couple of years. I talked to him a lot, and and not that I try to say this is what you need to do. Or this this is trying, but I just like to talk to him, and and I you know I think that that you know cigarettes. Some the more you talk about, the more people you talk to, the more you're going to learn, and and that's really what got me into it was was the mass. It was just a, a, another avenue of, of learning about baseball and, and delving further into the game, and uh, you know I think that that for me. You know, when I'm done, I don't know if, if I, if I, we'll see how long I play if I want to stay in baseball or not. I think I'd, if I did anything, I'd rather do radio or TV. I like to talk and <laughs> I like to get my opinion out there, but, uh, you know, I, I don't know if I'd be as much for a, a front office or a scouting or a, a coaching thing as much as, as probably getting on the radio or, uh, if I did coach probably at a lower level, probably in college. I don't know if I want to do the pro thing. It's a lot. It's a, a lot of travel and a lot of long days and that. And I could see myself doing radio or TV, though, but, um, you know, I, I don't know if I'll be able to share my knowledge of, of serometrics with uh, a team after I'm done or not. I would say at this point, probably not. Okay, and one last question for Glenn Perkins. I asked that last question, Glenn, a little bit tongue-in-cheek about uh, whether the front office might be clueless or not because as a player you certainly couldn't say Yes, of course they are. Even if you did believe that, but, <laughs> well, I, but, but I could, I could. well, you could. But that's the funny thing about baseball, and really, what my last question is. And I discussed this with Phil Coke earlier this year. And it, it is to the extent to which players can really be themselves, and how much they really need to adhere to the expectations of not just the front office, but the media and, and fans. You know, I, I think that that some guys are more worried about that than others. Uh, 
you know, and I feel like, like, I don't know. I mean, I think that I, the way I am, the way I am to media guys, I think, uh, on Twitter, things like that, I think that that's what's great about stuff like that is you can really be yourself. And, and in interviews, you know, I, I always say that, that, I hate cliches. Scott Diamond gives me a hard time because he says, I say that to what you said, that's becoming cliche that you hate cliches. And I, I try when I do an interview, when I talk to people, to not give the company line. I don't like that. And, uh, you know, when you ask that, that last question, that, that, you know, I, I obviously know that that's a, you, you know what answer you're going to get. But I, I, that is a truthful answer that, that, you know, I think that they are getting somewhere, they're gaining ground and, uh, you know, they're not as, as far along as some other teams are, but, you know, I don't think that, that's not the only reason we're in the situation we're in with, with losing seasons. But, you know, I, I, uh, I do try to be myself and, and not worry about that. I think I take it more as I'm a person just like anyone else is. And, you know, as long as I'm not telling kids to go out and do drugs and smoke cigarettes, I think I'm okay. I, you know, you can, you can have fun, you can do things and you can goof around and, and that's okay. I, I think that, you know, some players probably are a little too reserved and, and don't have to be. And then there's you know, some guys that aren't get scorned a little bit and, and do get a hard time from the from the old baseball people and, and you know, kind of lost in, in, in the change in generations and that. And I think it's, it's a different game now than it was, you know, even 10, 15 years ago and, and the way guys can interact with fans and talk to fans and, and be more themselves than have to be that, that you know, unreachable pro- professional athlete. Glenn Perkins, as always, it's great talking to you, and um, thanks a lot for being a guest on Fangraphs Audio. You bet. Thank you.